Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week, we're discussing Sharpest Edge by Alessa Thorne, and this will be an After Dark episode. We'll be talking about adult themes, specifically um, murder and violence and sex. So gird your loins. I will cover our characters, and then Vicky will pick up with our plot. So we have Isabella Silversmith. She is our female main character and hacker extraordinaire. She is young-ish. We're not really given a specific age for her, um, but... I would speculate like late 20s, maybe early 30s. I don't know. She she possesses some magical ability. She's just not really figured it out yet. She has worked with the Edgeworths, who um, I'll be describing in a second. She's worked with the Edgeworths since she was rescued by Silas from a human trafficker who was holding her hostage, basically her prisoner. Silas Edgeworth is our male main character, and he is middle-aged-ish. He's a mercenary, and he has been attracted to Isabella since he first saw her. He is the leader of a group of mercenaries that is comprised of his daughter, Athena Edgeworth, who he rescued from Russia when she was a child, and Dante who he rescued from a bodyguard situation gone awry several years ago. Athena Edgeworth is uh, one of our side characters in this story. She was the main character in the first book in this series called Darkest Night. So Athena started dating Constantius or Khan, who is a mercenary uh, with some magical abilities. He is very well uh, known in Istanbul, which is where our story is taking place. But Khan works with a hacker named Leo, who is also a tech extraordinaire with a mysterious past that comes to light in this book. In the last book, Khan, Athena, and company were working to figure out answers related to a mysterious magical group that's a cult called the Aurora Aurea and ended up killing one of its members, Liddell, who murdered Khan's parents when he was a child. So our friends are continuing their search for members of this group in this story, and specifically they're looking for a man called Gadal, who is believed to have played a nefarious role in Athena's life, in Athena's life prior to her being adopted by Silas. So this book takes place mostly in Istanbul, uh, but we do take a jaunt over to Russia and France in the course of the story. Vicky, do you want to do our plot? Sure. So the book opens with a prologue with how Silas and Isabella met. She was kept drugged and in a cage for human traffickers when they found her. Silas rescued her um, and they've had sexual tension ever since her recovery. That was five years ago. So since the last book, they've been living together in Istanbul and they're both having trouble being around each other due to all the tension. The whole group um, are working together to try and find the secret chief of Aurora Aurea, a magical organization slash cult that's somehow related to Khan's parents' death and the strange way Athena was found in Russia. They're all still traumatized from the events of the last book, but Leo, one of the hackers, is having the most difficulty adjusting. Dante is incredibly worried about him and keeps offering to help him. Leo is resistant and has thrown himself more into his work to help track down leads, but they're having a lot of difficulty tracking down Godal. Athena knows that Godal is looking for her and she wants answers herself, so she decides to go to Russia. She has to talk Silas into going, of course, because he does not want to go back and deal with all of those memories, and he's worried about the effect it could have on Athena. When he and Isabella return to their home, all of their sexual tension finally comes to a head and they find themselves in bed together. Eventually, Silas is convinced to go to Russia and the whole team goes. Leo reveals that so far all he's found on Godal is a bunch of fake corporations. 
they go to Russia and they go to a place that I'm not going to even try to pronounce. It's <laughs> where Athena was found. And when they arrive, Khan and Isabella immediately feel a lot of magic as well as the dead. So it's spooky. Athena wanders off into the woods. And when they find her, she is back in the spot where she was first discovered by Silas as a child. Her eyes are black. And the only way that she gets snapped out of it is when Silas gets her a small dagger. She tells them that the man with the shadows was there recently. This means nothing to anyone. They don't know what she's talking about. Um, as they're leaving, they find a broken camera and they're attacked. However, Isabella points out that some of the attackers felt wrong. When they return, Isabella gets to work on the camera and it links Godal to the south of France. She is also able to put together that Godal was obsessed with the French mystic and historian and stole his name. Um, and that Godal is looking for Cathar relics, which are relics associated with his this obsession that he has. Um, not everyone's doing so well upon return, though. Athena starts having nightmares and sleepwalking. She speaks in Russian, asking about orders and talking about wolves and shadows. When she wakes up, she actually has a few memories come back, and it indicates that she was an experiment. Silas is insanely worried about his daughter, but Isabella is there for him, and he is able to lean on her for support. Now that they have a lead on what Godal is obsessed with, Isabella calls Julian, an antiquities dealer and former torturer who went by the name of the butcher. Silas is not pleased that they have any kind of relationship. However, Julian is able to come through with a lead on these relics. While he does not find a relic, he does bring a box with the tied up man inside of it. Apparently he met the man four years earlier and had been outbid by him for a Cathar relic. They decide to rough him up a bit for more information. He's not breaking though, and Altoon shows up. She's able to whisper one sentence to the man and he quickly tells them what he knows. Godal has a gallery in St. Petersburg and he will most likely be there next week for a party. He also suggests that they kill Athena, which doesn't go so over so well and he ends up dead. Of course, there are a lot of galleries in St. Petersburg. So Leah, Leo and Isabella work together to find the right one. Once they find it, Athena recognizes it as the place that she was held as a child. Even though this will be difficult for Athena, they need to go to the party to see if they can find Godal. Isabella creates an app that can copy someone else's phone, all their data, if she can get her phone close enough. This party doesn't go well at all. Right? That's how you'd say that. Sure. It's, it's, it's Italian, Colione. That's how I want to say Colione. it. Did Colione. you do like the hand motion too? Colione. Oh, okay. Colione. Leo's brother shows up and it turns out that Leo is actually a Colione. The Coliones are a famous mercenary family that everyone knows to steer clear of. His brother forcefully encourages Leo to come back and marry a rich woman. This is not appealing to Leo, especially because he and Dante have obvious chemistry. So when the main speaker um, gets up on stage at the gallery, he's going by the name of De Tremblay, I guess, uh, a name of a Templar. Athena recognizes the voice as one of the men who tortured her as a child and believes that he is Godal. Isabella notices how on edge Athena is, and to get Khan's attention, she uses a brief and small burst of magic. Khan takes Athena outside to get some fresh air and hopefully calm her down. The magic, unfortunately, also gets Tremblay's attention. After his speech, he approaches Isabella, who uses the opportunity to activate the app to copy his phone. Unfortunately, he is aware of who Isabella is and her relationship to Silas. He wants revenge on Silas for taking Athena, so he decides to take Isabella. He uses magic to force her to peacefully follow him. Knowing that a phone will be the first item that will be confiscated, she drops her purse in the hope that the app has had enough time to copy his phone for the crew to be able to track her down. So what happens? Are there going to be some secrets revealed? Will they get there in time to save her? Spoilers bound. So this was my first read. Was this your first? Yeah, one? me too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, would you? Did you like it? 
I guess obviously. Yeah. Yes, doing. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Alessa Thorne has not written a single thing that I haven't loved and enjoyed reading. So yes, I did. Um, what what's great about I mean, so at the end of Darkest Edge, I was like, can we please get a story about Daddy Silas? Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see where she goes with it though, because I feel like she could at least set up um obviously another story with Dante and Leo, please please let us get some man-on-man love. And um, I feel like she kind of introduced maybe something with Julian and Alton. So yes, I picked up on that too. We'll see. They seem like they'd be like a good fit, but also kind of terrifying together. Yeah. So yeah, but they're both like, yeah, they're both antiquity dealers. I mean, it's more than that. Right. But they're basically both antiquity dealers. Yeah. There's something else going on with Alton. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't know, know what, what she, she I is. mean, that's definitely a cover for her. Julian, <laughs> I think that's probably like his full-time job. All of a sudden, she's like, I don't know what kind of magic shit she's doing, but she, she's got something else going on. I really want Dante and Leo. Their chemistry in oh, this was oh fantastic. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. That oh, it was this? so good. Oh, holy crap. He, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Dante kisses Leo, and then Leo is like, he pushes him up against the wall and grabs his throat. And I was like, yes. hello, sir, please. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about his pupils dilating. And I'm like, well, mine would be too. I mean, mm-hmm. Lord have mercy. It was so hot. So, yeah. More of that. Would love a whole book about that. Give me that story. I am here for it. So we don't know a whole lot about um, Leo's family. Maybe they are all dirtbags because it sounds like they might be. But I feel like she could do like a side story on like the crime family that uh, the Colleones. (laughs) (laughs) We would learn a lot more about them, and you know, if Leo and Dante have a book, I'm sure that would definitely come up. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I would, I would certainly be pumped for that. Mm -hmm. Gosh, Leo and Dante, their chemistry was just on fire in this story. Yeah. It was just, Oh, it was, it was a lot. It was palpable. I can't wait for that. Yeah. So one of the things in this is that they don't, I want to know what the age gap is between Silas and Isabella. They don't uh, say there's not any like specific ages given. I mean, I, it sounds like Silas is kind of middle aged. She mentions right. like his graying hair and his graying temples, but he's not like straight silver fox fox like Julian is, which makes me think he, of course, I mean, you could be in your 50s and have uh, like just silvery hair and you could be in your 50s and have dark hair. So it doesn't it sounds like Julian's maybe a few years older than Silas, but I don't know. I would say like late forties, early fifties. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think, I think that uh, Isabel's got to be, she's got to be a little bit older than Athena yeah, by a couple of years, because I think it'd be kind of uncomfortable if he was dating somebody, his daughter's age, it's got to be a yeah. couple of years older. So I am super into age gap stories these days. So this, checked some some boxes for me in the age gap category I appreciate that yeah I actually don't think I haven't read an age gap in a while there's like an age gap in like every fey romance that we read yeah the male characters are always like 9,000 years old and the female <laughs> character is like 19 <laughs> it's not the same <laughs> No, but it, uh, somehow like the emotional maturity of a thousand year old female is equivalent to the emotional maturity <laughs> of a 25 year old female. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. It even will from that. <laughs> so you had some issues with some of the things that happened in this story. Is that right? Yeah, there were just a couple of things. So at the beginning of the book, like Leo clearly wants to be left alone and Dante just does not respect his boundaries at all. He like continuously like texts him and stuff and breaks into his apartment and things like that. And that just made me kind of uncomfortable. I wasn't a huge fan 
of yeah. that, you know, like Leo just went through a whole bunch of trauma and I kind of just want to be like, leave alone. Yeah, it is a little bit invasive and it's weird too, because he's, so I, f- I feel like a lot of this is him just manifesting these feelings of guilt for, he feels like it's his fault that Leo was kidnapped and, um, he wasn't, he was like drugged and painted gold and hunted down in the woods. He wasn't actually attacked, but it was a scary moment. Um, I don't think he was actually attacked. Um, but because of that, Dante is dealing with all of these feelings of guilt. And so he's kind of projecting some of that onto his like pursuit of, or attempts to draw Leo out of his um, trauma, I guess. So it's weird because he's like insanely protective of Leo. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to bring him to this meeting and I'm not going to expose him to that and all of this other thing when it comes to the other people in their groups. But he's also in like insanely pushy with him. It's an interesting sort of dynamic there. Yeah. And I mean, he does, he has some good ideas. Like he offers to train Leo. So at this point, he doesn't know that Leo is like a Colleone and, you know, from this like insane family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so very he's very capable of protecting and, himself. Right. So he offers like to teach him some like self-defense basics and stuff to try to like give him more control, maybe make him feel a little mm-hmm. bit better. And <laughs> Leo's just like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm good. Yeah, but. I got it. But then he starts pretending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I don't know. I felt like that was kind of shitty. Like at a certain point, I feel like he should have just been like, okay, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I I can protect myself. Um, well it's interesting. So he mentions Leo mentions how in his family, right? If he had been dumb enough to get caught, they would just like leave him there because it would be seen as a weakness. So I feel like Leo probably is dealing with a lot of different feelings on top of that as well with the fact that the people he's with now don't see him like that. They're like, it wasn't a weakness, right? But he's also internalized, I'm sure, the idea that like getting caught like that and being, you know, vulnerable and a victim like that is such as like he internalized that as being weak. So he's, he's coming to terms with a lot. Yeah. Give him some space. Yeah. Give him his space. Um, and then later on, though, Isabella outs uh, Dante's trauma. Yeah, that scene made me uncomfortable too. And it was hard because, so like leading up to that, Dante, not Dante, Leo is basically making jokes about like his training with Dante because uh, like obviously he's super qualified and he doesn't feel like he needs it and so Isabella overhears it and was like so she comes to Dante's defense and I really loved that moment because she was like um you should appreciate someone giving a shit about you because not everyone has that and he's just trying to help you but then five minutes later, she's outing all of his trauma. And I was like, hmm, is that really your information to share? Yeah, that made me really uncomfortable. I was just like, that's not, don't do that. And then the like final issue I had was that, so Silas at one point has this, so obviously he, okay. Um, so Isabella and Julian have just a friendship. They go out to lunch or dinner or something. They have a friendship. It's a little flirty. Silas is this like insane overreaction to it and accuses her of sleeping with him. And this isn't like, this is like in the middle of their relationship, right? They're already in he's, and I was like, what is this? You are a grown man. Like, mm-hmm. why are you having this reaction? Just, it didn't totally feel on brand for him. Yeah. Right. And I also just don't like that in general. That's kind of a red flag to me to be like, oh, you're you're having lunch with this person. So obviously you're fucking them. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I agreed. I was like, why are you acting this way? But I think 
so this is not an this is an excuse as being such a butthead, but I think part of that was just like neither of them had really expressed their feelings for each other. And I think that maybe Silas had some of these feelings like he's not worthy of something more than just sex with Isabella. And so there's that unknown and maybe that because he wants that, he wants, he loves her. Like he wants something long-term with her. He just doesn't know where she stands. Honestly, if they had just communicated a little bit better with each other, this whole situation could have been avoided, but they don't. And then they end up having sex on a, a roof, which is really hot. So <laughs> I mean, it ended well. <laughs> the it outcome ended well. is all right. <laughs> they worked the it out. Is all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just two people who don't really know how to be in a relationship and have never really been in relationships before. And so they're kind of floundering a little bit. And so she gets defensive about things and he overreacts to things like Julian and just other men being interested in Isabella in general. Yeah. And for the most part, Silas is great. It was just like that one moment. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, he's so respectful of her and all of her. It's he's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. Um, what I love about so he's very um, considerate of her. But what I love with especially their sexual interactions is that he acknowledges the trauma that she's experienced, and so there's this like ongoing consent, and he's like considerate of the things that might be triggering to her, and he's checking on her, and he's like can it's continual it's not just a beginning and okay we're done he continues to check in and I love that yes yeah um I kind of love how violent and protective the whole group is I know (laughs) I feel like it would be terrifying to be friends with these people but I want to be part of their group (laughs) I don't think I could I don't think I could match that level no No. I don't no certainly not (laughs) no um but I I just love like how much bonding they do over the murdering yes (laughs) like the weird stuff like that it's just so cute and I can't so I can't decide if it's like more on brand for them as like a family of mercenaries to be so bad at respecting other people's boundaries Because they are, I mean, especially like Dante, Athena, and Silas, they are very much in each other's business all the time. Mm -hmm. So I can see how from that perspective, like with as invasive as they are with each other, like it makes sense why Dante is all up in Leo's business. Not just that he's attracted to him, but also that's just how he is with the other people that are part of his group and now Khan is part of that too and by extension Leo is as well so it kind of it kind of makes sense at one point Silas is is talking to him about like boundaries and being worried and he, he says it's okay to be worried I get it just don't make it creepy okay <laughs> that's that's a pretty accurate description (laughs) like this group of people (laughs) yeah be worried just don't be creepy (laughs) yeah I loved Khan and Athena in the first book and they I'm so glad that even though they're not the main characters in this book they still have pretty big roles to play I would just take like a whole series of them being weirdly violent and flirting with each other it is just the cutest thing I know yeah, I would, I would take that too. Even a novella, something, yeah. just them, just their weird, violent flirting. Yes, it got. Yeah, I love. He asked her at one point, like, so she apparently like looked into how to curse him once or something, mm-hmm. and he was like, "You tried to curse me," and she was like, "It, yeah, you know, but oh shoot, what did she say? Now I can't remember. Okay, but she didn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. I mean. Yeah, they're just 
they're just weird like the Silas makes a couple of comments about their weird foreplay and like the violent nature of the things that they're into she throws a, a knife at him at one point um and it I think it embeds in like the door frame right next to him and he gets a, like an erection from it like they're just they're weird and adorable I love mm-hmm. them so much I like that so when she has those nightmares and everything right she's mm-hmm. tries to she like tries to send Khan away right or just be like I'm trying to protect you like what if I hurt you and he's like you couldn't kill me while you're awake you can't kill me while you're asleep I know it was adorable mm-hmm. and, si- and so Silas gets to see that and he loves that as well I really love so we explore more of the father-daughter dynamic that they have in this book and I love that as well like they're just such a close-knit um family unit and it's it's lovely there I feel like Silas has done such a good job of I mean I don't know I guess I just don't think of like mercenaries being spectacular father figures but he's done a great job with raising another mercenary so (laughs) (laughs) I mean if you're gonna be a mercenary father like that's that's kind of what you do right you raise another mercenary yeah I guess so yeah yeah so um but I think that he he's a really good um he's very good at like comforting her and so after they go to Russia uh the first time and she um has like those flashbacks and she starts to dream about the people who held her captive when she was younger um Khan calls um, Silas over in the middle of the night because Athena has attacked him and she's like she's not communicating with him or she's communicating in Russian or whatever and so um, he uh, Silas just handles the situation so well and is very like gentle with her and he gets her like a whetstone and a knife and they just like the the repetitive motion of um, sharpening the knife to help her start to like process and calm down it's just so it's just so good um yeah. I love in that scene he asks her if he can touch her too he's like can I touch you and she says no there's something about that that like I really liked that like so he obviously probably wanted to provide her with some physical comfort like a hug or something like that and we see her saying no which I really like I feel like we don't see that in a lot of books where it's like yes maybe we can have somebody see that they ask like can I like can I touch you or something? They're like, yeah, like, yay. But she actually comes out and says no, which as somebody who does not particularly like being touched in general, I appreciate seeing people stick to their boundaries and say no. Mm Yeah, yeah. And I love that he honors that too. Also, this ends up, it ends up making so much sense um, regarding like why she is so just enamored with knives like she has this extensive knife collection it's a big thing for her that they explored in the first book but um sharpening them has been a soothing technique for her since she was a kid so no wonder she loves them so much Mm -hmm. and it's also a connection she has with her dad which is the first person who ever really cared about her so also after this so he's like so great and supportive in this scene and then he goes home and he talks to Isabella about people torturing his child and he starts to cry and I started crying. Oh, I that was, was not expecting. I know the vulnerability in that scene. I was just like, oh, oh my sorry. gosh. Oh. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, just something about parents crying. It just gets me every time. And so yeah, he's so vulnerable. Um with Isabella and she's so soothing and comforting to him too it's just it's a really lovely um to see these characters who I mean you don't think about people who assassinate and kill for a living being like emotional and vulnerable but they're human just like everyone else and um I like that we get some of these scenes of like vulnerability and emotion from them I do too. Especially like they're they're mercenaries, you don't of, think yeah. yeah. Not just a bunch not of killers. Just a bunch of violent hard asses. Like mm-hmm. they have feelings. So he says that the first time he like saw her, like even though she was like a mess and like, like 
I don't they they call her a junkie right but I feel like that's not fair to say when like it was forced yeah someone else made her be a drug addict yeah does it did they call her a junkie or does she call herself a junkie I don't know maybe it was her I think she calls herself a junkie and I feel like most of that is tied into the shame that she feels for being cocky and arrogant and her hacking abilities and being caught yeah all right well either way okay so I still don't think she should have called herself a junkie but I don't think she should either but But anyway so um he finds her and she's you know a total mess right but that his first thought was something lines along lines of there you are I finally found you and my mind just went a guitar Reese like my favorite line like in one of the whole series is when he meets Fair for the first time and he says there you are I've been looking for you thank you for finding her for me yeah I had the exact same thought like I highlighted it and made that note and everything in my kindle this is like Reese yep mm-hmm. same thing isn't it funny there are some things that come from books that are like this is never going to be anything but this for me yeah yep like every time like something you see every time it's like nope it's connected to that other book yep. Yep. it will always be this this mm-hmm. the way that you've put these words together will always mean this to me yep mm-hmm. so this book was as all of her her books end up being pretty spicy all yeah. the time um it's wonderful we love it yes yes it is wonderful so um let's see there's the bathtub scene which was hot yes it was um I love that they acknowledge how messy it got though yes it sounded really slippery like I feel like I would not be comfortable yeah I don't think I, I, I just feel like your knees would hurt no matter what. I don't know. Yeah. It was super hot to read. I love at the end that they acknowledge like, well, now there's water all over the floor. <laughs> yes. You cannot have bath sex without getting water everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's so not possible. Um, the first sexual encounter that they have he is masturbating in the bathroom and she walks in on him and just like stares mm-hmm. and it's so hot like it is so hot I yeah. feel like if this happened to you in real life it would be very uncomfortable but in this book it was so hot I know he doesn't stop to like make eye contact and I was <laughs> like oh okay eye contact was furious jacking off <laughs> Which should not be something that's like hot, but hey, put it in the this contact context. I mean, it's hot. It's amazing. I don't know. I've never. I haven't run into a situation like this. Like, so I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be astoundingly awkward. But then, um, she like flees, runs to her room, and begins furiously masturbating as well. And he's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> You want some help? <laughs> and it's, it's, oh my gosh, it is amazing. It is so good. Um, but we, and it, so this is the first time that she's had like pleasurable sexual interactions with other people, which is really sad because, so she tells him like, um, she tells him that since she was kidnapped, she's had some sexual encounters and she just has anxiety attacks, panic attacks associated with them and just like tries to power her way through it basically to prove to herself that she can, I guess. And that sounds awful. It's so sad. Yeah. So, and when she tells Silas that, you know, he's like, I don't want you to ever do that. Like you set everything here. You're in control sort of. So so sweet. It is. Yeah. And like I said, he's just very, so she's very um, protective of her hair because she was, when she was held captive, like her hair was used against her. They 
like that her captor would like drag her around by her hair and it was painful. And after she was freed, she cut all of her hair off. And so she's just got these very specific boundaries about her hair and um, people being like right up in her space or on top of her. And so Silas is very thoughtful and good about honoring all of the boundaries that she sets and checking in in terms of that as well. It's just spectacular. Um, so one of the things that she mentions is that she doesn't like being like on bottom and that she hopes that he's okay with like a woman being on top. And I just, I, and she says that there are men out there who don't like that. And I just, are there? Like, I don't, I can't, I don't. Like, are there men out there who don't like having a woman on top? I just feel like I want, and if there are, I'd like to know why. Yeah. Like, they have a good viewpoint of every, like, you know. Yeah, I don't know. She says that it, it, um, I forget what it is. Like, it feels like a threat to them and their manhood, basically, if a woman's on top, which doesn't, I mean, why? I don't understand. I don't know. Men or their threats or their manhood. Mm-hmm. But there are men out there who are threatened by things like vibrators and who don't realize that women should be able to achieve an orgasm ever. So, and don't make that a priority for them. So, I mm-hmm. guess there are probably men out there who don't appreciate women being on top. I just have never met one of them. So there's a bunch of oral sex in this and there's one scene where she um, hangs her head off of the edge of the bed, right? Um, And he says something about like letting her control the pace and everything, which great, but that has got to be probably like one of the most difficult positions for the woman to have any sort of control over. Like your head is back, you can't, and you're hanging off. So you don't have like full support really of your neck. Mm -hmm. So it's like that, that's difficult. Yeah, but didn't, I think she put herself in that position. Yeah, no, she did. She did. Um, And you know, so him being, but like, I mean, I just, it's just like how, yeah. And it was nice of him, to, you know, obviously to be like, oh yeah, we'll let her set the pace. But it had, it could not have been easy for her to do. That's more what I mean. Controlling the pace. Yeah. Yes. It just, it probably wasn't easy to do. Yeah. The other thing is, I don't know what it is about like necks. And maybe, I, I don't know what it is about necks. But she also, uh, Alyssa writes about, um, and I've seen this in a bunch of books where the guy is behind right and the girl just kind of like turns her head and they have like a full-on makeout session and I'm like does your neck not hurt (laughs) is this a me thing like I cannot my neck only turns so far like this is not a comfortable position and I don't know if it's a height thing because I've never been with somebody who's like significantly taller than me so I'm not angling my head up it's really basically just over I don't I that's not comfortable so I'm like why are you doing this to yourself she's probably angling her upper body a little bit her torso is probably turning too but I get that and part of me I mean maybe it's just because we're like in our 30s now and like neck pain is a thing Um, (laughs) so it's like when you wake up with I went to a concert last Sunday and like stood for five hours and I love concerts, but I haven't been to one in a while. And like, as soon as I got back in my friend's truck and sat down, I was like, Oh my God, my back, (laughs) (laughs) my knees, (laughs) this is the aging process at work. So maybe, (laughs) maybe that's it. Um, Silas's mouth in this book right lord jesus there's a fire like it's hot he says to isabella i ought to fuck the lie right out of your mouth like (laughs) sir (laughs) okay come on 
he says to her when she's talking about how, so they're about to um, do like a 69 and she doesn't want to be on top. And he says, oh no, how will I ever live with a gorgeous woman sitting on my face while sucking me off? Okay. (laughs) And then, so after they have their confrontation um, about Julian, uh, or no, I think it's about Julian maybe. It's after, it's after like the, the first sexual encounter, definitely. He says to her, getting off this on equal satisfaction, Isabella, truth is I haven't been satisfied in five fucking years. Oh my gosh. Just declare your love. Just do it. <laughs> my gosh. We find out a whole lot of stuff about Leo in this book. We do. So you know, obviously, I think probably the biggest reveal is that he's a oh, Colione. 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 <laughs> Please do the hand gesture when you say. Am. Can you hear me do the hand? You can't hear me do the hand gesture. I can't hear I, you do the hand gesture. Don't. Colione. Don't, don't, don't worry, I am doing the hand gesture. <laughs> it's here. Um, so that's obviously like the biggest reveal, right? It's like, oh my gosh, she's part of this like insane, like mercenary royalty family sort of thing. But his yeah. brother is a dick, first off. Yeah, so he, he says sucks. like, first, so he says, oh, I thought you would have like, and when he sees Dante and Leo together, he's like, I thought you would have outgrown these like, pro, like, what did he Proclivities. say? Proclivities. Thank Proclivities. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, that's not how that works. <laughs> and no, then he's, he's like, that's not how that works. Yeah. And then he's like, just come back and marry the woman that, like, you know, we wanted you to marry. And I was like, is this like, are we back in times where people were trading women for land and money or something? Like, what is this? It's like, we're marrying people off for this now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's got huge tracts of land. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so we're given a lot of new information about Leo. Like in the first book, we hardly know anything about him, but so we find out that he's actually like the family assassin and he bailed out because he didn't want to kill innocent people for his mama. And she sounds just terrible. She's the one that shot him and blacklisted him. So I feel like there's probably some familial tension. Just a little. But I feel like this this gives us a lot. I feel like this lends itself to the setup for the next book. So mm-hmm. I'm really, really hoping. Going. Yeah, I'm really hoping that the next book. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I feel like. Leo is going to be super dominant daddy. I mean, Dante makes a comment about him being a power bottom and Leo's like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, both Mm -hmm. times that they have kissed, he's like slammed him against a wall or something. Yeah. (laughs) Don't quite think so. And all of this comes out when they're like at the gallery in Russia, um, he's confronted by his brother who is there for mysterious reasons and happens to run into him it's like oh dear okay um but and so obviously that means there's trouble brewing in the Colleone family um but um oh shoot my train of thought got distracted oh so in this in the scene though um in this scene Isabella gets kidnapped and it just, I, I got like frustrated with Leo, I guess. I don't know. He's like, we just saw her like a minute ago. Like they can't have gotten far if they, if they've escaped. I'm like, my dude, you were literally missing for two minutes and that's all it (laughs) took for you to be drugged and painted gold and set loose in the forest. (laughs) Did you learn nothing from your last encounter? <laughs> All it takes is a minute. <laughs> I do appreciate him stealing the plane. Mm-hmm. That was that was pretty hardcore. 
And that's when they have their next kiss, the, their second kiss. That was also very hot. I love how, so I feel like Dante's a little bit vulnerable with him in this moment too, because he's like, so he asks Leo why he didn't reveal who he actually is to them beforehand. And Leo says, you know, because I, I didn't have to be this person if you didn't know who I was. And Dante's like, you're part of this group now. You have been adopted into the Edgeworth family. So you don't have to be this person anyway. We'll do what's best for you. I that their book better be next. <laughs> yes, I hope so. I would love more information. Oh, Leo does seem like he can be probably inconsiderate at some points, but I bet that's because of how he was raised, right? He even says like, as they're getting on the plane and stuff, like, oh, we don't carry our own bags. Mm-hmm. And he is not very nice to staff, which is, you don't don't want to be with somebody who isn't nice to the staff. Yeah. The servers. It's a red flag. I just like love Julian. For some reason, he's Mm -hmm. introduced as a new character this book, and I felt like I was almost instantly ready to jump on board with him. Um, He is the silvery fox type, which I feel, I mean, just give a guy with silver hair and I'm down Um, (laughs) for reasons that I don't understand. I mean, at one point he like takes his belt off and wraps it around his hand. and I'm like, oh. Okay, I want to see where this is going. Um, I feel like then he talks about his um, not tying abilities are getting better. I feel like, and he's got an extra ball gag in his trunk. He's using that on Gadol at the end of the book. Like this man has got some kinks and Mm -hmm. I want to know all about them. So he's flirty with Isabella, but when he like just shows up one day, um, after she has asked him about the Cathar, Cathar relics or whatever, and he just turns up with a crate and it's got a dude in it. And he's like, this guy tried to shoot at me. So we're going to question him. <laughs> it's just a guy in a crate. Like what? I see him like rolling up with this crate and being like, Hey, what I found for you. Ooh, you know what? I kind of picturing like Paul Hollywood from the great british baking show mm-hmm. just a sexy man with piercing blue eyes and beautiful forearms that could need bread like nobody else <laughs> like so sorry <laughs> so Godal having these obsessions with like these cathar relics and like with the templars and stuff i'm it's just such like a rich person thing to do <laughs> yeah you know it's like I feel like they always have like some obsessive thing and I feel like Japanese culture is like one of the top for some reason you know I'm just reading this I was like this is so clearly he is a rich man who doesn't know what to do with his time and money (laughs) there so when Julian does bring that guy for them to question and he gives them um some information to work with um, Athena is like threatening to skin him, which I just, whatever. Um, but Khan is so complimentary to her in that moment. And it's just adorable. He's like, I'm kind of hoping that he doesn't give us any answers because you're just so good at it. And she says, you supporting me makes me so hot. Like, I love how we've got these people who are murderers, but we're putting like these healthy dynamic, like healthy relationship dynamics on top of it. I just, I just love it. Their communication is so cute. It really is. Speaking of them being murderers, um, at one point, Silas, like, kills some people in, when you go to Italy, I think, and then he takes a picture, Athens, sorry, Greece, Um, he takes a picture of their bodies and sends it to Isabella and I don't remember what he says. He's like, ah, oh, look at what I have to deal with or something like that. And it's like, what? You just put that out there for everyone to see, huh? I <laughs> like- know. I have the same thought. Like, aren't you worried about, I don't know, the cops or something? But then, I mean, maybe Isabella has got some type of software on his phone that keeps it being hacked or tracked or whatever. I still wouldn't be snapping pics of the people I just murdered. Or <laughs> I know. And like, oh, work is such a pain. <laughs> when 
Isabella is kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And the Gadal guy uses like mind control magic to make her do what he wants. And she's transported to his castle in France because, of course, he has a castle in France. It's one of multiple castles in France yeah. that he has. Because, of course, what else is he going to do with his time and money other than like owning a castle buy and restore castles <laughs> um he naturally yeah oh yeah as you do you know <laughs> an unlimited amount of money and an enormous amount of boredom whatever um he threatens to torture her with this thing called the pair of anguish so i looked it up it looks like you looked it up too yes so I was horrified by it. I was like, oh my gosh, did this happen? Um, so I said, but it's not really real. Like it is real, but it's not real. Right. Um, they have never like been able to see if it's been used. Right. Yeah. Um, so the ones that they've found, right, don't date all the way back to like medieval times, like we think. Right. Um, and they the ones that are found are either spring loaded so it's not like you can like that's not going to work um or they have like a band right wrapped around the parts that would supposed to be expand so that doesn't make sense that doesn't work there so that was a relief to learn yeah um anyway and then it kind of got me on like a little bit of a deeper dive where like a lot of medieval things that we think of as medieval like torture devices weren't real like the iron maiden um and you know the rack that everyone's like oh it pulls apart your body whatever like those things apparently weren't really used and I wonder why we associate like the middle ages with that I'm sure there was torturing but I mean I feel like there's always torture I mean there's like a whole room devoted to torture devices in the Tower of London mm-hmm. yeah so well what did you think when you looked it up mm, I mean looks like bad news i certainly wouldn't want to i mean get involved with one no no but it was kind of a uh, i was like okay yeah it's like not something that's like actually been used on people i mean instead they just set them on fire and burn them alive Gadal is like yeah you've kind of stopped being you like obviously you can't leave here so we're just gonna burn you i was like are you for real man burn yeah. the witch could you be a little more original I just, I love that. Um, so she asked her ancestors for help, right? Mm-hmm. And she gets it and she just like goes like full on like fire goddess sort of thing and just no. destroys everyone. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It was so good. I was so, I mean, it was just such a victorious moment for her because she's been trying to harness her power a little bit, but then it finally comes through her for her, like right as she's about to die, which I guess is the trigger. Like almost dying is the thing that to like get your magic to come on out. But it was so like, I don't know. I just felt very gratified when she set all those people on fire. The last part of this book is just nuts. Like it's wild i know the last 15 percent is just like and everything is gonna happen right now yeah so she incinerates a lot of people the people that don't escape um are attacked by um her friends who show up in the nick of time and then gadal tries to do the mind magic on athena and she is like, oh, master, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, come to me, child. And she's like, shazam. And she headbutts him. <laughs> like, yes, girl. This would be my only me- method of defense. Like, I don't have skills. But a good headbutt, mm, I love it. Mm-hmm. And he's so shocked. It's brilliant. It's so good. Yes. And they managed to capture him, obviously, and contain him, mm-hmm. too. And they take him back to Istanbul, I suppose. That must be where they all mm-hmm. were, right? They go back to yeah. Istanbul. And I want to know what the hell Altoon is. Altun, Altoon. Altoon. We're just okay. picking it up as we go along. Um, yeah, because her sister is one of the 
secret chiefs is that what they're called for the aurora aurea she's one of the head main people i guess and she like does this um super terrible magical thing where she makes a doll's head explode as she's communicating with all time so both isabella and silas end up with these like longitude and latitude and time date tattoos Mm -hmm. which is interesting it's sweet right um i also always feel like though if you get like a tattoo related to a relationship it's kind of a curse (laughs) yeah it's cute the idea is really cute for Mm -hmm. her it's like the moment that he rescued her and for silas it's the moment that um she Jesus, said i love you yeah Ugh, it is really sweet. sweet it's so it's, sweet we find out some new information about athena and Khan uh, at the end of this book before gadal gets um exploded so regarding the aurora aurea we find out that Athena didn't actually have parents. She was created in a lab and not actually grown in a womb, uh, which reminds me of a discovery of which is a little bit the alchemical child. That symbolism becomes very important in the storytelling in that series. Um, but also to as like a magical backup, Khan was created for magic. And that's um, so they're like, two types of magical babies that were made different ways that came together <laughs> what does it mean what uh, yeah is supposed to mean i'm assuming it's going to we're going to know more about it later on but just we got some answers and, and ended up with more questions yes as tends to happen um yeah I feel so bad for Athena because she found out you know that she was created in a lab and she's oh she was worried about being a monster you know um what else did she say about it oh she was worried that like Khan wouldn't love her anymore or something like that she was just nervous about like what if you know what if I was the one who killed all those people whatever and he was like well if you're a monster you're my monster oh mm-hmm. so sweet mm-hmm. and we can move on to our favorite quotes so mine was something that silas said to isabella he said you didn't really need my help you were the goddess i always knew you to be which is so i just think it's very sweet there's so many sweet quotes in here and everyone being really sweet but i like one of the reasons i like this is that they did have a little earlier in the book they had a conversation about how he kind of seemed to baby her or whatever you know like try to keep her away from the bad stuff even though she'd already been around it before and so I like when this he's like you didn't need my help one of my favorite moments between them is um after so they've had sex at this point and they have this interaction and I feel like it's, uh, I feel like it's a super organic or just true to the situation interaction, um, where they're alone in their apartment and like, they're both kind of like figuring out what to do next. And, um, Silas says, I want to sleep with you, but can't think of a charming way to say it. I'm bad at this. And she says, I was thinking the same at, at the same thing that I'm bad at it. Um, not that you are. And, um, I just, I just thought it was really cute. Um, and it, just another little moment of vulnerability for those characters, um, trying to navigate the awkward scenario, like asking for what you want in a romantic relationship with someone when you haven't really had that in a really long time or ever, maybe you want to be with the person but you don't know how to like how do you get there final thoughts oh alessa thorne has just written another really great book and i very much enjoyed reading it and i can't wait to see what comes next hopefully 
Mm. Julian and Leo, not Julian. Well, actually, Julian and Dante and Leo. I wouldn't be mad about that at all. But um, oh, that's yeah. a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, Dante and Leo for sure. I want that. Same. I hope the next book is Dante and Leo. And I love her work. Um, yeah. All righty. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you for listening. We hope you join us next week. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.